Over Under Movies and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Plans start as low as $5.99 a month. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. Movies current highlights include New York Film Festival's Projections, a collaboration with the New York Film Festival to bring exclusive highlights from the Projections Showcase, which includes Jody Mack's Wasteland Number no. 1, Ardent Verdant, and Jesse McLean's Wherever You Go, There We Are. Their Takashi Miike special continues with 1997's Rainy Dog, the second film and, in my opinion, best in his Black Society trilogy, and finally, they have Homeland, Iraq, Year Zero, director Abbas Fidel's deeply personal film that is one of the most crucial about the U.S. invasion of Iraq. Once again, to start your free trial, visit mubi.com slash the playlist. Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, the podcast in which we discuss one overrated and one underrated movie within the same style, tone, director, or however really we choose fit. I am Oktay Ege Kozak. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Robert Ham. Yeah, we have, we have Robert with us today as our uh, guest. Uh, as you might have figured out from the previous episodes, every once in a while we try to bring in a guest and um, to discuss their picks. And this episode is, how should I put it? I guess, I guess like whimsical comedy seems to be the theme. And uh, these are Robert's picks and his underrated pick is a little known 1984 Scottish comedy called Comfort and Joy, uh, directed by Bill Forsythe and starring Bill Patterson. And um, just to give you like a brief uh, plot, because it's a, it's, it's a film that I had never heard of before, uh, before Rob, Robert picked it. Uh, it's about a, um, a radio DJ who gets dumped by his kleptomaniac girlfriend, and uh, within his depression, he, he kind of gets in the middle of this turf war between two uh, ice cream uh, companies, two Italian ice cream companies. And um, it's a really quirky, whimsical um, little comedy. And uh, let's uh, put it up to Robert. Why would you think of this as the underrated pick? Hey, it's you, isn't it? It's Dickie, Bob. Dickie Bird's here. I can't see get in the car. Give us an autograph, Dickie. I'm sorry, I don't have a pen on me. I'm sorry. Come on to hell. Let's get out of here. Give us a dedication at least there for my mother. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Tomorrow morning. Right. Have you any man to man here, Dean Mark? Oh, bouncy, bouncy. What, the memories are made of this or something? Aye, lovely. Well, I think you... Something you just said there, I think, says a lot about why this is underrated. I don't think a lot of people have heard about this movie, nor its uh, writer-director, Bill Forsyth. Uh... Bill Forsythe's a Scottish director. He hasn't made that many movies. He made a bunch in the 80s and a little bit in the 70s and a couple of movies in the 90s. But uh, his career kind of stalled out. Um, uh, the, the ones I've seen are Local Hero and Being Human. I, yeah. I remember those, yeah. Yeah, and and so, you know, the, the last movie he made was, you know, in 1999. 
And uh, I don't know what he's been up to since then. And it's really unfortunate because I think this is a guy who makes movies that uh, have a lot of heart to them are really quirky and original. Uh, but I just don't think they really found a huge like international audience or anything like that, even though I know he's pretty beloved in his native Scotland. Um, you know, and I came to this movie just through uh, a movie called Gregory's Girl that he did in 1981. Uh, this really charming coming of age love story about a you know a guy Gregory in love with this this new girl at his school, and you know, so it started following his career since then, and and uh, yeah, landed on comfort and joy, and and it's. I, you know, the description that you gave alone, I, I think, says enough about why I was interested in this movie and why this is so, such an interesting movie that I think people should check out is, you know, it is such an original, weird story. I mean, it's just taking this breakup that this guy goes through and sending him off on this you know, journey of the soul in a way um, where he's trying to wrestle with both the, you know, the fallout of losing this girlfriend that he obviously cared for very much. And then, as you said, stumbling into this weird battle between these two rival ice cream purveyors in Scotland. Um, and, and it takes all, and like most uh, Bill Forsyth films, it takes these really weird turns here and there, and the little quirky running jokes that go throughout the movie. Um, and it's just charming as all get out. And uh, yeah, it's something that, you know, I, every once in a while, someone will ask the question about what they'd like to see uh, criterion put out and I, I don't want to see this like a big like deluxe edition of this I wouldn't mind seeing them do like an eclipse uh, box set of mm. some of Bill Forsyth's work you know putting this one and Gregory's Girl and Local Hero and maybe housekeeping in his first movie that sinking feeling in one set to sort of you know, get a sense of, of who Bill Forsyth was as a director and a writer nice um, yeah that's a great opening argument man uh, Ryan what do, what do you think uh, I'm I'm pretty much right there with you. Um, and if there's any question about this being underrated, uh, went to go rent this at Scarecrow Video, which I go to get everything that uh, that I can't find streaming anywhere. I had to rent this on VHS, uh, right? Wow. Yeah, so I had to dust my Zenith off and uh, play <laughs> and play this thing uh, because it, it's only available on like a, a Region Two DVD, uh, which I do not have right. a Region Free player. So. Um, this movie is incredibly difficult to find, and it's so charming is the perfect word for it because right. this movie subverted – because I knew very little about the movie. Uh, even didn't even really read a description before watching it, and so, like, the movie starts. I'm like, oh, okay, it's going to be, like, a breakup comedy, um, you know, like, like that sort of uh, dramedy guy trying to get his life back together, that sort of thing. And then, like, when it, when it takes that turn – I don't know. Like there, there's the one scene uh, with the uh, like the Mr. Bunny ice cream. The like the first time he's with the Mr. Bunny, and that is seriously one of the funniest scenes that I've seen in like a really long time because he's like threatening him with a stuffed bunny in his hand, and it's just like, and they're playing it straight. They're playing it completely like this was like a mafia, like it was the Godfather. But it's it's a mob hit. They just they straight up show up with like crowbars and like smash the. Yeah, Yeah. it just comes out of nowhere. It's just it just happens. But it, it, but it's really, really honest too. At the same time, like, like the movie. Um, if I have anything like negative to say, which is really nothing at all, it's a little slow paced. But that was that's really oh, the sure. only thing I could say about it. Um, because, but I think it works in the movie's favor because you are building this sort of um, 
it just it subverts those moments that you expect in movies like this. Like there's a scene where he goes to talk to his boss about wanting to make a documentary, wanting to do something more than the sort of radio show that he's doing. And in like an American comedy, you would have like the sort of uh, egotistical, egomaniacal boss. And it would be like this like really ramped up heightened comedic scene and the boss is just like yeah no you can use whatever equipment you want to make a documentary and it's just like these little small moments granted it's ended with a great moment of like should we should we get him in a psychiatric care yeah check this out but like but those you know like right before he does that you're just like oh he's like such a nice boss that's amazing like how supportive and he and he gives out these like new agey uh supportive uh stories about how he could get out of depression and then that kind of becomes like a running joke later on when he actually goes to see the psychiatrist right. and how, how offended the psychiatrist gets when he finds out that like uh the boss has basically been stealing his um his his new agey uh like anecdotes anecdotes yeah that really happened i'm really offended that, that's, <laughs> that's that's another good scene too so yeah there's just like these little little moments that I feel like in any other sort of uh, American comedy um, would have been really heightened. I, I thought of a good overrated pick, at least maybe, maybe it was the Christmas time and maybe it was the, the breakup part of it. But I thought like a good overrated movie to this would be love actually. Um, like oh, for sure. whatever I like, I thought about like that movie and how like the movie has the same just... kind of a whimsical humor, but done in a lot more like cutesy mainstream cutesy, way. Broad, like every, <laughs> like wrong decision and this movie just makes every right decision so no i'm i I think this is a great pick and i'm really glad that you uh you brought it to our attention because like octay i had never really heard of this movie before and uh i'm glad to have finally seen it yeah i I hadn't really i i hadn't really heard of uh bill i mean i the name didn't i didn't really remember the name i guess but like when i looked up bill foresight and i just i saw a couple of those movies and i was like oh yeah i i know about this guy and uh but i had never heard of this um i had never heard of this one and actually i would say being a big fan of uh alan partridge uh steve coogan's um right immortal, immortal asshole dj character um <laughs> he he the the guy here played brilliantly by bill patterson this guy is just like i mean he he can do this kind of deer caught in headlights look incredibly well um especially i just love his reactions at the moment where um the two uh mobsters slash ice cream guys like one of them just like corners him and recognizes him still wearing the ski mask um with the with his like you know because he just bought an ice cream so he has like this ice cream in his hand and the, the guy's just like trying to get an auto- autograph and he's just scared shitless but like his kind of inherent uh, British uh, politeness doesn't give way to him like screaming in fear or doing anything rash. So he just has this like really polite conversation with the guy who's just like still holding on to the crowbar that he used to like bash this uh, other ice cream truck with. And so it's just like full of moments like that that reminded me of like this, this dry, the dry wit of, um, of Alan Partridge in a way that's like, like this one, I feel like this would be a, People would be right at home with this movie if you like Alan Partridge, but you find him to be too much of an asshole. So, like uh, the um, the DJ here, uh, Dicky, uh, is is kind of like a more friendly, but just as kind of 
aloof and uh, goofy and has has this like sort of self-importance in a way, especially when it comes to his like that whole move with uh, him saying he wants to uh, do something serious and he wants to make a documentary and all that. Like uh, that's that's like that's like a very typical Alan Partridge move. Where you know it's the that's the whole crux of that character is that he just the only thing he wants is just respect, and in order to get it he he acts like an idiot, which means that he will never get the respect that he craves. So that's kind of like the the circle that he's going through. And I feel like this character has has more hope going for him, but in a way that he he kind of has that has that personality as well. Yeah, and, and I think the majority of the film is kind of him is kind of cutting at his ego through the whole thing. And I think just the, the, the symbol of this car that he has, this very, you know, expensive BMW that he drives around that just keeps getting, you know, smashed and like they break in and put ice cream all over the seats and whatever. And this is like, you know, his big sort of luxury item that keeps getting shat upon by these guys. And, you know, he kind of has to come to terms with that as this symbol. And it's the same with, you know, losing this very exotic girlfriend of his who just walks out of his life you know he sort of had this world built around him as being this you know very big radio dj and you know and being she, a celebrity she, just gives, for the most she part. gives no reason doesn't she like she just no no they're just they're just having a great time and then two minutes later she's like ah, i decided to leave yeah exactly <laughs> so you know he has to yeah like i said like come to terms with this and sort of humanize himself and it, you know i think mean, you look at it in in a sense is kind of a coming of age story for someone in his middle age, but uh, as well, just, you know, like I said, like, you know, sort of subsuming his ego to sort of become more human and more likable, even though he already was pretty likable to begin with, but you know, this sort of amplifies that. Yeah. And um, I, I like that. I like the journey that he goes through, like his, his, his character arc, he does have that kind of, um, how should I say it? Like a mainstream Hollywood character arc where he goes from you know being depressed about like those these kinds of dramedies you know what was it like like dan in real life or stuff like that where uh you know at the beginning someone gets dumped and have to go through some soul searching and at the end they find some form of happiness and renewed purpose in life and stuff like that so that arc is there but how he gets there is very like delightfully absurd in a way that uh kind of in in a way that kind of really gets into how unpredictable and random life can be, and it's it's a movie to watch. in In that sense, it's 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 a really fun movie to watch because, like like Ryan said, you start watching this and you think it's just going to be one of those films, and then all of a sudden, this almost Python esque uh, yeah random plot just just. Like, you know, like Python, a lot of Python sketches are like that, like some random thing that has no business being in the tone and the genre or whatever they're <laughs> spoofing. It just like just enters in the middle of the sketch. And then that's what the sketch is about from that, that point on. And that, that's what kind of happens with the ice cream plot. Like, and it doesn't even uh, show up until like at first, after I was done with this film, I started thinking about like the structure and the... Um, the overall pacing. And at first I was just like, ah, oh, this has some like really unique and interesting ideas and some really funny jokes. But then I was, I was like, well, the structure is a little bit off. Like the, the main plot that's supposed to like propel this character th through his journey 
it does that's like if you consider that to be the plot point like that whole incident with the ice cream truck it doesn't happen until about like what 40 minutes into the movie like way past right. the first first act and then um and then it doesn't and then again it doesn't become like the the almost like the main plot you're still like going on these tangents and following his uh you know he goes to the psychiatrist he tries to um there are some like really funny little vignettes where he's just frustrated with these ad copy that he's recording and uh like like a lot of this right. stuff i'm sure like as a dj robert like um must have must have looked very uh familiar and maybe that's part of the reason why uh i don't know if it's part of the reason why you picked this as uh underrated um <laughs> it looks no, like it captures but... that world fairly well i have done that work before and that yeah it does get pretty frustrating at time trying to record commercials and things like that but it's been a long time but yeah this is something that um yeah i don't know when i was just thinking about it this is always one of those movies that i that i've been trying to champion and championing bill Forsyth's work as well so that's that was mostly the reason but yeah there's a little bit of myself in there i'm sure too with the the, <laughs> the radio dj getting dumped and looking for you know, himself yeah it's uh the so so at first i was a little bit off put by the by the odd structure, like the the one the, the thing that's supposed to be like you know, in a you know if you again bring this back to like a mainstream Hollywood dramedy of this type, um, the breakup would have been introduced within the first five ten minutes of the the film, and then the whole thing with the ice cream uh, rivalry, and the you know that's supposed to be kind of like the plot point one of the the thing that propels the character through to his journey would probably happen around like 20 minute mark at the latest. And in this case, you just, you really, he really lets you kind of uh, sit and like, take this character in first, like what he's going through and, uh, and everything else. And then almost kind of lulls you into thinking that this is going to be a fairly traditional kind of character study before uh, throwing in all these, like the, the crazy uh, Italian, kind of semi mob boss who's like a genius when it comes to ice cream like he knows exactly what every single type of ice cream tastes like and stuff like that and um like there's this really weird quirky world that it creates just it feels like out of nowhere so in a way the structure when it first felt off um a while later like about a day later i started thinking about it in terms of like the, the way that it captures like the randomness of life when you're going through something as kind of shocking as that but um you know going back to the kind of ellen partridge style aloofness of the character like at the same time you're kind of like well your girlfriend is clipped like a kleptomaniac like right. she she lives she lives she, she she certainly lives in the moment and you know, it looks like she's a fairly like selfish person. Like you could, you probably could have seen this coming like from a mile away, but uh, he is. But you you understand why he's as uh, heartbroken as he is because he didn't see it coming from a mile away because he um, he has that kind of like um, faith in people, I guess. But but yeah, after a while, I started to like really enjoy the uh, the kind of oddball uh, structuring of it. And and some of the some of the elements that are laid out that don't really pay off, and I like that they don't pay off. Like they kind of set up uh, one of the ice cream people, like one of the uh, a girl in the Italian family, as like a love interest or something, and that doesn't really go anywhere. I love that. Like there's just like, this one uh, short 
couple lines where he's he tries to ask her out and then you don't know where that's going and then it just ends you know yeah so um so i like i like the i like the way that it subverts all those like dramedy uh tropes yeah and it's it's just a personal journey for this guy and i think that's why they sort of shoved all that stuff aside it just you know the actual like injecting another romance into it would have i think felt false in, in this story and the way that, that that bill forsyth was telling it and you know thinking about it the way that i i view this movie is almost like <clears throat> almost a strange kind of um parody of sorts of sort of the kitchen sink drama that was such a huge uh, such a huge thing in, in in the UK for you know through the 60s and 70s making these like really you know heavy earthy films about regular working class people in the UK and I mean obviously he's you know oh, not oh yeah a the, the, class the, guy. the Ken, Ken Loach and the Lindsay Anderson and all exactly. that, that 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 kind of like the what is it called like the like the British work uh, new something British something new wave or yeah yeah uh, but yeah British like new wave yeah yeah. So I think it's kind of a takeoff on those sort of themes, but you know, it's obviously someone who is, you know, a very upper class citizen living in Scotland, and you know, is a very well known DJ. But uh, I think there are elements of that that I think uh, Bill Forsyth was trying to subvert a little bit with this film. I noticed that mm. too, and we kind of I brought that up a little bit on the last episode because we talked about uh, Death at the Funeral, the the first version of Death at a Funeral, and how oh wow, like, and how that movie like. Um, sort of maybe was trying to spoof the kitchen sink drama but if it was it didn't like do a super great job of it um and <laughs> and this like and this one it does like this one has a good like you know it is about working class people ultimately and it is about like pretty serious like you could see this as a drama you could see this shot straightforward as a drama and it probably would have worked uh just as effectively at least in terms of this like slice of life trying to find yourself movie but the fact that it's flipped as a comedy um, you know, it works. I, I, yeah, it works well. And, and it takes takes more and more chances with the comedy as it moves along as well. But it all like the the absurdities of the ice cream world kind of like fits into the tone that uh, Bill Forsythe is going for to begin with. Like there are some running gags that I just I simply thought were um, were hilarious. Like my my favorite joke in the whole movie, I guess, is the um, is that's not it's not even like a foreground joke it's it's kind of in the background with like um these these two guys one of them is playing the xylophone and the other is <laughs> and the other every five seconds it just keeps going like um hello folks oh yeah hello folks and it's like <laughs> it's and then the music they that keep, they play they're, in they're the like, ice cream truck yeah, yeah. They're, they're recording it on tape and I'm like, oh yeah, they probably have like 90 minutes of this on tape <laughs> to just keep playing, and just just to like not die of boredom, I guess. Like the guy just like switches "Hello, folks" to something else, cheerio, but it's folks. like it's it's just "Cheerio, folks." Like he just keeps going back between those, and the uh, um, yeah, just the, the those little background details were were really brilliant, and yeah, I would say um, uh, about the pacing. Uh, I think it's it's paced more like a drama than a comedy for sure. So it might yeah. kind of like the the slower approach to getting to the really zany weird stuff um might make some people um kind of feel a little bit bored uh at first uh maybe but um but it's a film that has has many surprises. I would I would say that like maybe the pacing could have been uh tighten a little bit uh there's a there's a couple of like stuff that i found to be superfluous like the um the the couple of dream sequences were kind of 
Yeah. Obvious and I would say like unnecessary because you already know that he's depressed and obsessed with his ex-girlfriend. You don't really need those. And they're kind of set up in a way that's like, I think, I don't know if he wanted, if he actually thought the audience would believe that because he has he has these there are a couple of dream sequences where he thinks like his girlfriend is back and just wants to like um you know hump his brains out and they're so like and she's she does such a 180 in terms of personality and how much all of a sudden she's into this guy that like immediately you can tell it's a dream sequence so i don't i don't know if he actually thought that that there would be like an actual twist there that the audience would actually think that, Oh, his girlfriend is back, but it just doesn't work from like minute one. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Sure. But I mean, if that's the one thing, like, you know, so much of this movie works that I wasn't really, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really feel dismayed by it or taken out of the movie because it was like, Oh, that's a dream. And then we moved on to the next scene. Yeah, I could see why. I think now I could see this, you know, a director not needing those. I think maybe at the time they might have seemed a little more, um, I don't not groundbreaking is not the word for it, but they, you know, they would have seemed a little out, out of place, I think, for a film like that. Because, like you said, this is, this thing is paced like a drama, but it's a really funny, weird little movie. And so throwing those things in there, I think, just sort of, you know, adds a little extra. twist to it in a way but yes i you know even without those i think the the film would have worked fine on its own or maybe moving them around making them maybe a little bit weirder or moving them around in the story because they're kind of front-loaded as well and you get to a point around like it's around like the end of the first act area and you get to a point where you feel like you know you want the story to like move along a little bit so it's a it might be just an issue of like the placement of the scenes in the in the story as well Sure. Um, but yeah, but yeah. Otherwise, I I uh, I find it to be like totally enjoyable, and especially if you know the our listeners who are into uh, like dry wit British comedy. Um, it's not as in your face as Alan Partridge. So, like I said, like if you think if you like that kind of brazen, semi absurdist, dry Alan Partridge humor, but you can't stand the character because <laughs> admittedly he's, he's an unabashed piece of shit asshole in many ways. Um, especially if you see the, have you guys seen the Alan Partridge movie, the alpha power? Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, I yeah, haven't so seen like, it now. Oh yeah. Like what he does in that movie to his like best friend is, is just, it's, it's great. I mean, like yeah. it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing, but the way that it turns out is like one of the funniest fucking things ever. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I would definitely, um, recommend it uh in that sense it's a it is a very hard film to get like fine it's not really streaming anywhere or uh so uh especially the the listeners who are like into kind of finding um getting their hands on like hard to find uh physical media and films like this um you could you could go on like a little little hunt for it yeah you got your work cut out for you for sure but (laughs) but it's worth it if you can find it it's worth it (laughs) Or yeah, if if like, you have a, a, v, a VCR, like uh, just get gathering dust in the in the garage, <laughs> you can just pull that out and like rent the v, VHS, like like Ryan. Yeah, I think it's you know, like he said, there's you know, there is a region two version of it available if you've got a region three player and want to order it from, you know, mm-hmm. o- online somewhere, or like you know, 
like Ryan with Scarecrow and like me and Octe with uh, Movie Madness here in Portland, you know, that's just, you know, th- there are some places out there that you can find that. So cherish those. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and finally, Ryan, why, why the fuck do you still have a VCR? Uh, <laughs> because uh, let's refer back to the Sharknado Samurai Cop episode because we're both big fans of Sharknado oh, movies and yeah. some movies are yeah. not available on even DVDs. You just can't find so. them. Yeah, yes, yeah, you're um, right. You're yeah. right. So that's why I still have a VCR. If anyone's concerned, yeah, you're you're, you're truly you're you're more dedicated to trash cinema than even I am. So I <laughs> I bow down before you. <laughs> <laughs> Although, and uh, you know, the watching some VHS on my projector system could be fun. Oh sure. Um, yeah. So what do you, what do you guys think? Should we move on to uh, the overrated? Yeah, I'm so, ready. Okay, so. Robert's overrated pick in this double feature of uh, whimsical comedies is uh, Zach, writer writer director Zach Braff's uh, 2004. Oh, let me do that again. I kind of stuttered. Sure. Okay, so let's move on to our to Robert's over, overrated pick, which is going to be 2004's um, Garden State, written and directed by Scrubs. Zach Braff, and um, before we get into all the details about the film, which I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun discussing, um, <laughs> especially when it comes to how uh, a movie could be dated over time, uh, before we get into any of that, just simply, uh, Robert, why did you pick Garden State as the overrated? So what are you here for? What are you here for? Waiting for a friend, you. I, uh... Oh, fuck, that was nosy. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm so nosy. I didn't, I didn't mean to be... I'm sorry. No, I just... I, I get these headaches. I just want to have it checked out. Cool. Andrew Largeman? Yes. We're ready for you now. Oh, okay. Thank you. Nice meeting you. You didn't. I'm Sam. Um, I think this is a movie that unfortunately spawned... Uh, an entire generation of filmmakers after Zach Braff to try to make these uh, sort of Wes Anderson-esque romantic comedies where they think they're they're are a lot more clever than they actually are and a lot smarter than they actually are. And really they're just following sort of the same old template that, you know, every other filmmaker since the fifties has followed as far as like romantic comedies go. And maybe this isn't a romantic comedy. Maybe this is more of a coming of age film for Zach Braff's character in it. But uh, I found this, the whole thing very cloying. It felt like more of an excuse to put together a soundtrack album more than it was a movie. And there are some things that I, I enjoyed some of the visual aspects of this film, but uh, everything else about it just felt really flat to me from Zach Braff's acting. He, he, he even sent the uh, soundtrack CD with the script. Exactly. Yeah. When he was trying to get it made. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's something that I, you know, like I said, I think it spawned uh, ter- equally terrible movies like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist or, uh, what if, which is a movie that came out in 2013 with uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan, and yeah, I, I you know I I know this movie that people uh, you know of my age um, or people of that generation are supposed to sort of you know embrace is you know as their own or people who like indie rock or or, or what have you, but uh, yeah, it just it completely felt uh, flat and trite to me. That's fair. I I have kind of a comp i guess my reaction's more 
complicated to it. I, okay. I uh, uh, not complicated. Let's let's like because there's a lot I really like about the movie, and there's a lot I really don't like about the movie. If that sure uh, makes a lot of sense, I'll I'll double down with you a little bit on the spawning of movies. Not just not did it just spawn like Nick Nora's infamous playlist or what if this Fox Searchlight movie? I think this set the template for the type of movies that they aimed to either produce themselves or pick up at festivals in the years since. Like I'm talking the little yes. the sunshines, the Junos, the mineral and the dying girls of the world. Like, oh, I, like, yes. I guess. So I feel like this sort of set that template for that studio and like, I, I would even put uh, like a fault in our stars in there. Sure. Yeah. That's yeah. also Fox movie. So there you go. That they, they were in the business of these type of movies. That being said, I do think this movie, like, it's partially like I think there are aspects that are cloying and I think there are aspects that are frustrating and have not aged well. I do think, and honestly, I'll even say his second movie, Wish I Was Here, I think both these movies at their heart are sincere. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's not uh, the, the uh, popular thing to say, but I do think that there is there there is an earnesty and a sincerity to them co- coded in a cloying annoying uh coat <laughs> but i but i, I do think, think that's fair but i do think deep down like i like i i think he did put a lot of like personal elements to it i do think that um there, there's a lot of stuff that that feels really honest to me there are some performances i really like like peter sarsgaard is is the mm-hmm. clear mvp uh, of this movie for me um i like i like natalie portman but i don't like necessarily like the you know, this is this is like the the ultimate like manic pixie dream girl. The the phrase exactly. that Nathan Raven coined. Like I think Elizabeth Town was the movie that caused him to coin that phrase. But like this came out like the year prior, so this was like like definitely in that mindset. Um, so I I guess what I'm saying is I think there's a lot that works. I think there's a lot that doesn't, uh, and we could definitely get into that. But um, yeah, I, I uh, admittedly did not rewatch this movie. Um, mainly just out of running out of time and um also like was afraid to rewatch it because i really loved this movie at one point uh i did watch it again like a couple years ago uh and then had these sort of feelings come up but it was like i I was almost worried i'm like what what am i gonna feel about it uh watching it again so i i just didn't yeah that that happens too where you know some of your the films that you love but when you start thinking about like as years pass, you start thinking about like this scene or that scene, and they're like, "Oh, that was kind of dumb." And maybe I, when I, if I watch that whole thing again, I might not like it as much. So sometimes it's like um, maybe just keeping it as a memory is the is the good thing to do. And um, this was kind of one of those cases for me. I mean, Garden State um, came out at a time in my life where I was like, you know, twenty four, just going through the same kind of uh existential uh confusion as the Zach Braff character and I was just like in this like really melancholic state of mind about like why can't I find the right person to love and uh where's my life going what am I doing and all that kind of stuff like this perfect kind of 20 something space of mel- uh, mel- uh, melancholic anguish that this film is kind of like tailor made for, um, but it's also very much a product of its time. So Garden State at this point, I think I would only 
recommend it if you're like in that state of mind in your mid twenties, but you also have to time travel back to two thousand and four. <laughs> <laughs> so because it's it it is also horribly dated. Uh, so it's not. I don't think uh, someone who like a twenty something grad student like me right now, who's kind of going through like those same kind of situations, would really would probably be kind of annoyed by how um, cloying and I would say like a little bit desperate to be loved. Not liked, but this is a movie that's just like a little bit desperate to be loved. And I think uh, in our age with the uh, with the 20-somethings these days where they have a little bit more of a uh, kind of ironic detachment uh, look to life, I think I think this is going to look uh, far too saccharine in, in many ways. But yeah, when it, when it first came out, like this is one of those films that I didn't do a complete 180 on. Like, like Ryan said, I still think the, um, the sincerity of it is, I still find really attractive because it's like, yeah, I mean, you could be Zach Braff. It's like, okay, you could be kind of annoying and cloying, but it's like, it's, it comes from the heart and you can see that. And that's, there's some value to that, especially in terms of like these types of, quirky, playful, whimsical um, indie dramedies that, um, you know, very predictably uses the same kind of uh, indie soft rock music. And, you know, they're just like, they, they have a formula, just like big budget blockbusters have a formula that they go by. And a lot of them, you can see the kind of cynicism behind it. And this one, I, I don't see any any cynicism in it at all, even now. But um, that being said, it's like, um, I look at this as a film that's just very much kind of locked in this time capsule and place within its time. And uh, it's kind of very hard to enjoy it um, outside of that. Yeah, I think that's true. It's, yeah, it's a very early 2000s movie and you know that's when as i was saying like you know the sort of really sincere indie rock of bands like the shins and Coldplay and iron and wine all of whom were on the soundtrack you know that that was on the rise at that time and that was kind of all the rage uh, amongst like music blogs and and who were sort of taking control of the music industry at that time um and i i think it sort of plays into that audience these you know sort of super sincere dudes who uh are you know i think like a lot of guys in their 20s including myself were you know feeling kind of uh disconnected and trying to find you know trying to find their place in the world and trying to find where they're going with life and that includes relationships as well um but i don't know there's something that just felt i'm trying to think of the word here I think it's just something that that felt a little too mannered about it. And and it seemed like it tried to set up this this sort of strange, quirky world in this film, but it didn't go all in. It sort of restrained itself too much rather than just like, you know, going for broke in in some senses where I think, you know, a director like, to say his name again, like Wes Anderson, I think is someone who just like puts you in this world and just, you know, doesn't let up. And, you know, you're just surrounded by all these this very 
precise looking world that he has you know mapped out on his head where this one didn't feel like that and i think he was i think that's what zach braff was trying to go for with a film like this i think i think seeing a film like bottle rocket or rushmore probably sent him down this path to end up with making a movie like garden state but uh god bless him he like he's like you said brian his heart is in the right place but he just doesn't have the talent to really pull something like that off totally oh and and the other thing too in addition to not going all in on this quirky world um you know like like we said his heart's in the right place but at the same time like it's it's it it's heartfelt in the right place but also a little self-centered like specifically towards the andrew character like they you have this world of interesting potentially interesting characters um but we don't spend enough time with them because they're all in service and all in function to the uh the journey of of the character of andrew like they're all in service of his mm-hmm. journey that they don't really have a function of themselves like like they don't really seem like they like they have like especially natalie portman's it's, character yeah but i was like, gonna say especially but, that's especially but, the case with natalie like, she doesn't really yeah. have a motive of her own other than just to be in service of that character and whatever their uh like wants and needs are it's like the well, never mind. I was going to say something that relates to the new Blade Runner, but I I don't want to spoil that for anybody. So I'll, I'll, I'll hold off. But if you've seen it, you probably know where I'm going with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, but yeah, there's um, nobody has any real agency. Like it's all in the service of this character. And then when that character is played by the writer director, it can come across as narcissistic where I think that there's like slight narcissism. But again, I, I think it's I think it's earnest, just misguided. Earnest but self-centered, uh, you know, like the self-centeredness is also that also comes from an honest place where he just like kind of bears out his soul with his movie with this movie, but at the same time, it is a little bit um, like his soul is also kind of a little bit self-centered as well. And yeah, you're right. I mean, the it's in in a way the manic pixie dream girl character, especially in Garden State and uh, Elizabeth Town. It's almost like the Deus Ex Machina of the um, of the indie rom com world. Um, like these characters, they just like come out of nowhere, enter into this uh, the protagonist's life, and the only reason they're every single move that they make, everything that they say, um, is all in the service of um, giving new life into this like the depressed male protagonist. Uh, like you said, like the Natalie Portman character doesn't really have much of an agency of her own. She doesn't feel like she's her. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the ending twist turned out to be like she was some kind of uh, like it had like the supernatural twist or something. And it turns out that she actually is like a pixie or a fairy that like <laughs> came to, um, you know, it was like, oh, you were depressed. So, you know, I was sent to to make you feel better or something like that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at that at all because she is so kind of. In a in a very like non organic non human way kind of uh, quirky and whimsical and supportive and uh, like just like she's whatever the the Zach Braff character needs in the moment in every scene she just kind of like pops up and provides. Yeah. Have you heard the shins? It'll change your life. Oh no, yeah. Natalie, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and also it's 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 really weird how like this is one of those films that just like every once in a while, this film comes along that you kind of 
like revisit and you real the the things that you love like that you absolutely cherished uh kind of like turn you off uh after a while like this is and i i experienced this 180 with especially with natalie portman's character i mean at a time when i guess it's it's a matter of like back then when it first came out like i said i was like you know if you're in this like state of mind where you're just like you're just like craving that kind of like perfect relationship or the quote unquote perfect girl who's like who's like gorgeous and um you know insightful and interesting but at the same time like kind of nerdy and like you know can hang quote unquote hang out with the guys kind of thing like it's that's why it's like the um that's why the character come, kind of comes across as a, a bit of fantasy and Natalie Portman's character like like almost like this euphoric cinematic drug like really like when you're in that when when I was in that state of mind really like got into my veins and I was just like of course it it also helps that she's you know she's as beautiful as she is and I had a crush on her around that time because of the Star Wars prequels but let's not get into any of that stuff. Um <laughs> but yeah, I was like I was like it's number one it's Natalie Portman and number two she's just like this you know friendly cutesy uh like incredibly just like down to earth character just like and so I just I was just like imbued with the sense of like just almost like living vicariously through that movie because I wasn't getting that in real life in a way that like in the way that a drug works because it just gives you that like quick rush without kind of much much of a um like substance behind it you know what i mean so um but now watching it now as like uh someone who's been married for like over a decade and with a little toddler like a total uh late 30 something family man i just i did a complete 180 on her i was just like i was watching it and every time she kind of pops up i was just like she was a little grating she was i just found her to be like i just found her to be really annoying it was just it just went the complete opposite way like uh, back in 2004 i was like i will do anything to spend like a day with this character and now i'm kind of like i will do anything to not spend a day with this character it's, well, it's that, uh... <laughs> that trope is dated like is it not like you, yeah. you don't see it as much anymore and and whatever inkling of that trope was left i think uh I think David Fincher and Gillian Flynn chopped it up into kindling and threw it on the fire with Gone Girl. <laughs> like they took that concept of the 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 cool girl and just like completely obliterated it. So like you don't you don't see that trope anymore. So and, and for the best, like it's a good thing that we don't have that. So like I think because that movie hasn't been made in a while, that type of movie it seems it just seems more dated. It seems more 2004 than than it would have otherwise so, yeah. robert yeah. did you see this when it first came out and then revisited it and what do you think about like the way that you related to the the natalie portman character i was gonna say i i i feel exactly the same as you did i mean i i saw this movie yeah when it came out um and was charmed by it at first and and you know like you said charmed by natalie portman's character because i think when you know when you're at that age and you're watching this like i think you were you know in your 20s that i was in my 
late twenties, early thirties, and was like, you know, yeah, this is this is the kind of girl you want, like the kind of girl that can hang, the kind of girl that's like obsessed with music as you are, but then like introduces you to new bands. This is crazy. Like that never happens. Girls don't like music, or any, <laughs> of, that, any of that really stupid stuff that we tell ourselves in our twenties and we're young men. And you know, uh, yeah, as you get older, you suddenly realize, you know, how empty that all is, and how unimportant all that stuff is that you thought was so important that you want to place on this other person or expect from this other person. And you're kind of looking for something a little more substantive and a little more complicated, to be honest. And, you know, whatever complications there were in there, you know, her character is, you know, a supposedly a compulsive liar and has some like, you know, uh, has to wear a helmet for, for part of the reason. I, I didn't rewatch it, but I haven't watched it in a while anyway. But yeah, she, uh, she has to wear a helmet because she like she has epilepsy, epilepsy just so yeah. she falls down. Yeah. And I think that's just such a... An, it's a terrible thing to do to this character to just sort of put her in this like this really frail state all the time where she's you know, like a little bird you got to take care of but she's going to lead your way but you got to be the one to take care of her and be like the strong mm. guy and make sure she doesn't fall down and crack her skull open and it's just it feels and, really and even, even her kind of like um you know constant lying and stuff like that none of it just like is dealt with like a red flag of any kind as you oh, it's, no. it's it's the, everything that she does even stuff that would be kind of really the, that would create these giant red flags in real life are treated as these like very quirky cutesy qualities right yeah, she, she's she is acknowledged like she's like oh i am a compulsive liar and then i feel guilty about it so i tell the truth about the lie that i just told so it, like it's like oh it's okay because if you actually lied then you just come around and tell the truth so yeah yeah she she has an out and it's just this you know it's also this weird not weird it's also this this you know love conquers all story and have like love will just solve all of your problems like you know one of the biggest issues of, of a movie that I've, i think i've had in the last 30 years is watching that uh jack nicholson james l brooks movie as good as it gets and like mm. you know him falling in love with someone cured him of his obsessive compulsive disorder i'm like that is just the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen are you kidding me and it's sort of the same thing here like you know he falls in love and you know his depression is his depression yeah. whisked away and then you know all of her problems apart from maybe the epilepsy like all of her other problems are completely taken care of and like everything's gonna be rosy and yeah it's just it's really ridiculous and the stuff that you know of course when i when it was first came out i was like entirely focused on just just laser focused on natalie portman right um and you know like i said like vicariously um living through that 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 movie because i just really wanted a girlfriend like that and and it it does also kind of harken back to um that kind of fantasy that you create in your head uh, around that age period um, that the film, I don't want to say exploits because like, like Ryan and I were, were saying like, it's, it is, it is an earnest film, but in a way that like makes me think that that's the kind of um, approach that maybe um, Zach Braff had to um, his relationships at the time, or that's what he expected from, from women maybe uh, i think it comes from a true place but that also doesn't make it uh real or realistic and um it's interesting that like as annoyed as i like since i was more more annoyed with danny portman's character this time around i was able to like focus a little bit more on these side gags and side characters like i think like some of the um typical you know admittedly typical quirky indie movie ideas 
uh, that are in there, um, I find some of them to be to be genuinely interesting and funny, like the idea of the silent Velcro making this guy <laughs> right. like like millions and millions of dollars, but he's he's like he's like I've never been so bored in my life. I don't do anything, and um, so I, I thought that was an interesting character. I think Peter Sarsgaard character is interesting, and there's real life and there's real inner conflict there because he's this guy who just like comes across as the life of the party. But um, he's also kind of a grave robber and he's a skeezy character in many ways. And he's going through like these really kind of really major hardships uh, in his life as well, um, which could have made for like a really interesting character, like supporting character with an interesting arc. But like Ryan said, because every single character is in the service of the protagonist, um, he's not really developed uh, uh, to his to his full potential. And I think that's kind that's kind of what happens with the uh the rich friend that he has that sold the the silent Velcro. And um a little bit more attention to those characters could have the this movie could have benefited from, which which I have to acknowledge is a little bit hypocritical because back then I would have if that was the case, I would have said like why is there there should be more Natalie Portman. Why are we spending time with all these other characters? So, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, I think all the all the sort of ancillary characters in this film, uh, you know, folks like the, the the character the Method Man plays in the movie, or you know, this is like an early Jim Parsons appearance especially in this movie as one of his. It's sort like of, the exact uh, same character from uh, Big Bang Theory. He even speaks like Klingon or something. Yeah, exactly, uh, and. Um, there's like the 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 mother of Natalie Portman's character. There's all these like little characters in there that that were I I think much more interesting than than you know Andrew and and Sam the the main couple in this film Natalie Portman and Zach Braff. I think much more interesting than what they were going through. And I was really curious about you know their lives more than the main characters. And even you know even the the dad character in this film, which is ostensibly why I think Andrew goes back in the first place, which is played by Ian Holm. Um, you know, he, he's just like, a, a, feels like a really one note character through the whole thing. And, you know, I think their relationship could have been, it could have made for a far deeper, more interesting movie to, to like tease out their relationship and follow the struggles that they're going through. And I, and I, I really like the idea of a psychiatrist who is really fucking things up with his son when it comes to like his treatment. Sure. Uh, so that's that's a really interesting idea that he seems to be desperate to get his son the help he needs, but at the same time just ends up turning him into like this um, like a zombie basically. And there there's a lot of interesting dynamic there, but yeah, like you said, it's like it's not really uh, since the focus is on those two characters and their kind of cutesy relationship, the stuff that could really hold some actual dramatic heft is kind of relegated to the background yeah now i because of you know my sort of changing feelings about this movie over the years completely ignored the other two movies that zach braff has made since then and i know that like the second one that he did was like a big kickstarter one if i'm not mistaken like mm-hmm. wish i was here mm-hmm. um which is kind of i, I don't know if, from all everything i've heard about it felt, it felt like almost like a sequel to garden state did either of you see that and, uh, and could we, corroborate I think that we both saw it you saw it all right yeah okay. i did yeah i, I had to yeah, review it for uh... gotcha movies back in well not back in the day i guess it was just three years ago but um yeah it's uh it's like a spiritual sequel. Yeah, it definitely has the same tone, kind of tone and a lot of, and a lot of themes, uh, a lot like similar thing, like 
almost every character in the movie is in service of the Zach Braff character just now. And he's also an actor, I believe, but he's in his 30s now. So it's basically, it's sort of a regurgitation of those similar ideas just through the lens of being 30. And uh, I think that's actually when I, that was when I rewatched Garden State because I came out of that movie also feeling it was really sincere but also being like, was Garden State that kind of sloppy and like not <laughs> not interesting? I don't remember that being the case. And then I watched it and went, uh, yeah, it kind of actually is. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, I mean okay. despite like the cloyness, it is better put together as a movie. Garden State is uh, than the mm-hmm. wish I was here. But it was, uh, yeah, it's definitely a little sloppy. Um, and then didn't he direct the remake of Going in Style that came out? He did. Went this yeah. year? Okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. I did not see that. Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. But that didn't look like a, you know, unless you had, um, is it Morgan Freeman and Alan Arkin, right? And right, Michael Caine. Yeah, there, and there was, Michael Caine. There was an older yeah, yeah woman unless wo- you have like uh, the shins is playing in the background and <laughs> kind of Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine are swimming in the pool with the fog and that'd be fantastic. talking about like you know what what does life mean and. All that stuff. Like, there, that could be fun to there watch. There was an older woman watching it in front of me on a plane uh, recently, but that's the closest I got to <laughs> seeing the movie. I would, I, would, um, I would pay to see a shot-by-shot remake of Garden State with uh, Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> like, keep everything exactly the same. Even their, like, you know, the, their friends and everything. Like, the Peter Sarsgaard character could be recast with, like, a 20-something but like, just just keep those two. Can you imagine like um, Michael Caine saying like the shins? They'll change your life. <laughs> or like, or like that ridiculous moment where where um, where she goes like blah 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 blah. You know, this is right, something that right. nobody has ever done before. Which I I thought that was really cute and like that was one of those moments that made me go like, oh man, I wish I had a girlfriend like that. Like this time around, that made me go like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I would watch Michael Caine do that for sure. <laughs> well, since I think we're kind of drifting off into uh, yeah. into tangents, okay. yeah, uh, do, do you, no, no worries. Do, do you guys have any final thoughts on uh, on the movies before we wrap them up? Uh, I just encourage, like, like we've been talking about, if you can find a way to see Comfort and Joy or any of the other films that Bill Forsyth has made, I highly recommend them. Uh, your mileage may vary about Garden State, but uh, I don't think I need to see that movie again in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean Garden State. Yeah, it's it's uh it's very much of its time and place, and maybe it should just remain there. And um, uh, yeah, if I if I went back in time to two thousand four and saw like twenty somethings that are like going through all these like existential problems, then I'd be like, yeah, it's a really heartwarming, sincere piece of fantasy to be honest with you but it's you know it'll it'll make you it'll make you feel all warm and cuddly inside and get you through another day but we're in 2017 so i'm not going to find a 20 something and say that so it's it's kind of you know it's a nice it's a nice little relic and a uh, part of uh film history in that sense but um yeah apart from that i don't i don't see any value in it uh especially as like a family man in his late 30s Okay, well, thank you for listening to another episode of Over Under Movies. Um, to tease the next um, episode, we are going to be jumping into our annual uh, Halloween picks, where during the month of uh, 
I guess I would say during the month of November, starting with the end of October, we're going to be the picks. We, we're each going to pick uh, some horror films uh, for the Halloween season. And um, we're going to start off with uh, my picks, which are going to be, um, how should I put it? Like precipitation based horror films <laughs> would be the best way to describe it, I guess. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, Frank Darabont's 2007 Stephen King adaptation, The Mist as the underrated and John Carpenter's 1980 uh, horror flick, The Fog, as uh, overrated. And um, yeah, that should be an interesting conversation. But until then, you can still find all of the, the playlist uh, podcasts, including Adjust Your Tracking, Indie Beat, and the regular playlist podcast that um, Ryan appears on. Uh, I really enjoyed the uh the episode that he did with Rod and Eric, uh, our, our editor-in-chief, editor uh, Rodrigo Perez and uh, Eric McClanahan, where they talked about uh, the new Blade Runner. So uh, be sure to check that one out. And so you can you can find all of those at theplaylist.net up at the, uh, the podcast tab. Uh, you can also find all of these podcasts at uh, um, the Playlist podcast iTunes feed. And we're also on on Stitcher. And we want to thank our um, editor-in-chief Rodrigo Perez for putting us out out here and uh, letting us have, letting us kind of have this platform. Um, and as far as specifically uh, Over Under Movies podcast is concerned, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/overundermovies and on Twitter at overundermovies. Um, so for now, uh, closing up, this is Oktay Kozak. I'm a film critic and contributor for Paste Magazine, uh, The Playlist, of course, and BayaSpider.com uh, and DVD Talk. Uh, signing off is Ryan Oliver. You can find me here at theplaylist.net and hosting the uh, regular Playlist podcast. Uh, and I'm Robert Hamm. I'm the assistant music editor at Paste Magazine, so you can look for my work there. I also contribute uh, film reviews uh, regularly to the Portland Mercury. And you can uh, find my work at Robert dash ham.squarespace.com or if you want to hear uh, my radio show Double Bummer that airs every Friday night from 11pm to 1am Pacific Time on xray.fm And finally thank you so much for uh, guesting on the show Robert this has been a lot of fun and uh, yeah we would love to, love to have you on uh, sometime in the future Thank you that'd be great this was a lot of fun Hey alright guys thank you